Welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for September 4th. My name is Dylan Flynn. My name is Trevor Ickrath. Dylan, welcome to season four of Hallelujah Monkeys. Holy crap. You know how like sometimes when a show's doing really good, they'll they'll double its running time for the season premiere? Yeah, I don't think we have enough like foresight to plan out a 12 episode arc though. No, unfortunately. But apparently our ratings must be good because this is like I've heard of I've heard of monster trucks, Trevor. But monster episodes of Hallelujah Monkeys? <laughs> Is this one going to end up being a little long? I think so. We yeah. got a whole lot to get to today. I yeah, mean, on, on short notice, too. I don't think we were planning on this this being like a kind of big episode, but I guess we'll see where it goes. It's sort of the inverse of, of last week's episode where like we were expecting to to interview a person and review an album, and then the album didn't come out. And this time we were just expecting to review an album, and hey, what do you know? It's funny how the universe and gorillas works like that, isn't it? It sure is. It's good to read into these things and build belief systems around them. Absolutely. That's how I, that's the only kind of sense of purpose I get from life. Oh, hey, the energies in this room are telling me that we should probably talk about the news. Let's better obey them. Who knows what would happen if we didn't. Trevor Ickrath, are you aware that this is the the Gorillas remix mini season that we're embarking on right now? We do have a lot of remixes to listen to in the next couple of weeks, don't we? Yeah. Ooh, I don't like thinking about that. We're doing like a little it's like a themed trio of episodes, and so I thought it'd be fitting for us to talk about the worst remix of phase four. You think so? Yeah, I absolutely really think so. <laughs> well, this is well. First of all, we should clarify we're talking about the um, the Yato remix of "Busted in Blue," right? Yeah, Yato, like Y O T T O yeah, remix. "Busted in Blue," your favorite song on Humans, and I think like your favorite song of the year. Was it like your number one Gorilla song of all time? It's or my whatever? number one Gorilla song of so all you, time. So you you obviously feel a little slighted here. I feel like. Look, there's a, there's a there's a really competently put together remix of Busted in Blue on that Log S album, and that to me proved that it can be done. Like you can you can do something with that song that's interesting and, sure. and unexpected. But oh my god! So first of all, why does this exist? This isn't a single. Why does this even? Why did this happen? Maybe Damon just wants more people to listen to his voice. The question is, if it's not from label fuckery, like if it's if it's not if it's not Warner saying we need some hot busted in blue remixes, then that means that this Yato guy literally reached out and said, "You guys, I have a vision for this song, Busted in Blue. You gotta give me those stems. Give me those Busted in Blue stems because I'm gonna make a hit." Obviously, they were convinced too. It's awful. I mean, it's like it's it's not quite wise guys level awful, but it's but it's close. It's so four on the floor. It goes nowhere. And then you just got like it just feels pointless, yeah. You've got like these these little snippets of, of Damon and Kalila from the song sort of coming in and, and, and it's not like they even did anything to match the key of those vocal arrangements. So yeah. Yeah. why does this exist? Yato, if you're listening, come come on the show. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Come on the Nuremberg trials episode where we <laughs> where we like very pointedly demand answers about this remix do you think we'd be able to get the uh, red bull ceo on that episode too no oh, i hope i hope so if if he's gonna sit down with anybody and tell the truth i think it'll be us right? yeah definitely okay so this is kind of awesome actually trevor 
six years in the making. So this fellow named Richard Van Az has been working on uh, a fan video for Rhinestone Eyes based on Jamie Hewlett's animatic for the song for like six years. I remember when this first started, like when the project first started, I was like, okay, let's let's see where this goes. Well, and, and it finally released. That's that's the news this week. And I got to say, it's, it's like really an undertaking because this is just one dude who's not getting paid working on this for, for years and years in his spare time. And, uh, and he realized the whole animatic beginning to end. Yeah. You can tell that a lot of effort and a lot of love went into this thing because it is really impressive. Do you think that he had any like gorillas, dark nights of the soul in the middle of the production where he's like, I don't like this fucking cartoon band anymore. And then like, he'd go through the, the, the cycle and come back and say, okay, let's, let's finish what we started. Richard. I mean, if it was anything, if it was anything like the process of making this show, then I imagine. <laughs> but I figure, Trevor, because this is probably the most fully realized version of that that video we'll ever see. Why not give Richard the full Hallelujah Monkeys music video review treatment? Sure, come up with like a one sentence uh, summary of his work. Yeah, I've just faded up the the video audio underneath us, and we're gonna treat it like a proper Gorillas video. So I believe it's your you're up for summary. And mine is I can't believe a fan made Gorillas video has more animation in it than an official one by Jamie Hewlett. <laughs> Because it does, right? There's more animation in this than, like, at least on Melancholy Hill, I'm pretty sure. That's the difference between between working for passion and working for commerce. And I guess, like, having seven years or whatever to work on something, too. What's that triangle? You can get it done. You can get it done fast and well, but it won't be cheap. You can get it done fast and cheap, but it won't be good. And you can get it done good and cheap, but it won't be fast. And this is an example of the third one. We'll have to explain that to uh, Jamie when we get him on the show. All right, let's do some, uh, some best and worst. To me, the best thing about this video, Trevor, was that seeing it, in motion helped me understand kind of the plot of this video much better than the animatic ever did like really yeah for example like i it never really occurred to me that that whole four horsemen sequence where where murdoch shakes hands with the boogeyman like it didn't occur to me that that was an allusion to murdoch being this immortal being from like the ancient like i didn't realize that was a flashback until i kind of saw it staged in motion you know god i wish we had figured out what all that stuff was about it would have been nice but i feel like the even though it's still vanishing the closer i get to it i still feel like i maybe i, I wiped a couple of smudges off of the opaque lens into the face pretty lore by watching this video yeah thanks for that richard another best is definitely that amazing shot of, of cyborg noodle who's like crying robot blood and smiling like a psychopath that's such a good shot staring off with like pasta nooser who which one is that yeah it's like pause and, and glue and Dylan and my favorite part though is when the boogeyman raises his arms and summons the gorillas live band and we get to see like damon and Cass and the rest of the boys that's really good that's amazing and i love how the boogeyman's like flesh peels away from his body and you just see his ribs underneath it so cool yeah 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 but the but the worst part i mean where are these where are the sound effects i feel jipped yeah, trevor where are these i mean it's the attention <laughs> to detail like that that could have taken this video from being like you know it's great, don't get me wrong, but that's what it needed to take it to the next level. That's what it needed to get the like Hewlett sense to it. I want to hear some bellowing whales. I want to hear, I want to hear machine gun fire. Come on, there's a whole explosion in there. Where's what's pause the news going? Like that robot's messed up. You know, throw. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, uh, they, most of the weaknesses in this video are, are I think, weaknesses of Jamie Hewlett's vision rather than of 
Richard's work. Like, it still has the 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 El Manana on Melancholy Hill issue of like no thought going into timing out the beats of the video to the music. You know, I actually think it works pretty well. Ryan Sinderlitz has kind of like a sinister atmosphere that I think lends itself pretty well to this kind of like final showdown. It still just feels a little bit like another episode of the Gorilla Show that's incidentally set to a song from Plastic Beach to me. I don't know. I think this one is just. I think it's a case of this incidentally being a little bit of a better incident than. Beyond Melancholy Hill one. I would definitely put it a, a notch above on Melancholy Hill yeah. and, and also a notch above certainly Dogmatic if we're talking yeah. phase three videos. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. definitely better. For sure. The only the only I don't mean to to ride Richard. He did this for free and he did a beautiful job, but there is one moment where uh Murdoch dives down some stairs to get away from an explosion and it does look kinda janky. Like it looks sort of like when when Space Ghost would would you know, shoot Zorak and he'd fly out of a window or something. <laughs> the explosion itself, though, looks really good. The explosion That's a cool sequence. Awesome. I, I mean, I bought it, yeah. It's very kinetic. There's some cool little touches, too, Trevor. Did you notice that there's a... In 2D's dungeon at the bottom of the Plastic Beach uh, Island, there's a... a, a poster in the background that says peppermint tea on it which i thought was funny oh very funny very cute and he's got that little photo of him and paula cracker on the wall so little, little photo of paula cracker little dungeon photo of paula cracker oh paula cracker photo like what a treat i i kind of had forgotten this was coming and so i was excited to see it again yeah me too i had no idea it was still in the works but i mean again really well done job probably the most like fun little gorillas tidbit of the week. Although I will jump in real quick and say the best dressed award. Uh, I got to give it to pause news in this. He's, he's wearing like a lilac colored button up. He's got a little pocket square in that he's wearing some Navy blue Dickies. He's got his little granny glasses on. It's like a good clean look, you know? All right. I'm going to, I think it'd probably be either a tie between um, Murdoch's kind of like um, four horsemen of the apocalypse sequence, kind of Western get up. That's a great look. The everybody in the live band is dressed great. They've got kind of like, uh, you know, almost almost Steve Zissou level, like lounging sailor outfits. Yes. So uh, one more piece of news this week, right? Yeah, I kind of lied. I said that this was the most exciting gorillas tidbit of the week, but this is kind of amazing, actually. Yeah, this is definitely the most interesting curiosity we've dug up. Boy, it's like such a weird convoluted chain of events that lead to this. I'm not even exactly <laughs> sure how to start here, Trevor. Okay, so we, um, we talked to uh, Carrie Levy. Uh, the director of the girls documentary bananas last week. Yes. And he told us that there was a brief period where they were considering auditioning other singers to play the role of 2D to do the vocals on the album. Right. And we were like, what? Cause we just never heard about that. Yeah. We didn't really get any names, but I guess um, the popular Instagram account, Gorillas Trivia, was listening. Yeah, uh, run by run by uh, I know a listener of the show and a friend of ours, uh, Jordan Powers, runs that uh, uh, oh. Instagram account. Very cool. So he posted. Uh, he made a post that said like, at one point they were auditioning singers for 2D, and uh, Matt Wakeham. Who is that? Matt Wakeham was the writer and director of Charts of Darkness, and I think right. he was also just like an early zombie flesh eaters guy. I think he actually was involved with kind of fleshing out the gorillas characters really early on. Okay, so Matt Wakeman um, commented on that post saying, totally true, Earl Zinger, a.k.a. Rob Gallagher, was a contender before the decision was made. No one other than Damon could, could deliver it. That is Crazy. Okay, so I didn't know about Rob Gallagher. Apparently, if you're like an acid jazz person, especially like a UK acid jazz person, uh, Rob Gallagher is your dude. He's he's an established man in the in the niche world of acid jazz music. So he was in a band called uh, Galliano. 
they had like a minor hit called the the prince of peace uh in fact when he was in that band he built himself as robert galliano when he quit that band he built himself as earl zinger so he's very into the nom de plume yeah definitely definitely a kind of character actor almost yeah and and so i wanted to play a little bit of that that prince of peace since this is big hit but he only kind of raps in that song and i thought mm-hmm. instead we should probably play something that give that would give them an idea of sort of the the timbre of his voice so let's Let's bring up a little bit. This is Learning to Fly. This is from his first solo record. Let's play a snippet of that. Many cabs are always late. They don't stop over the estate. We'll just, you go cross the bridge and then hear me call. I'll be by the river, y'all see the tide ain't gonna rise, just me. I'm gonna float above a chimney. I'm gonna start a kind of farm for you tonight. When everything's right, I'm learning to fly. It's definitely, um, definitely kind of got like a smokier, jazzier vibe. Than, Weird. I guess gorillas would shape up to be. Yeah, like what kind Weird. of what kind of character do you think they would have written around this voice? Because it doesn't know. seem like it would have been the 2D that we got. Yeah, were we still looking at those sketches? Like, I, I almost feel like. Boy, could you imagine like if his speaking voice was still Nelson DeFritos and he sang like that? <laughs> that would be pretty funny. <laughs> but you know, the, the thing that was kind of surprising to me is that like, why this guy? Like, I he's obviously like a cool kind of he's like a tastemaker type of guy, but I don't necessarily get the sense that he has this like very rich, distinct voice. You know? I mean, maybe they were thinking of going somewhere else with the project at this point. Who knows? Maybe the mind reels though. Like I wonder, were they looking at those two D sketches when they when they started uh, looking into into Rob Gallagher? I wonder if there exists somewhere like uh, on Damon's little four track him singing the Clint Eastwood hook or something. That'd be fascinating oh, to hear. Oh man, that would be like the holy grail, wouldn't it? <laughs> For sure, in the secret warehouse where all of the where all of the forbidden gorillas treasures uh, exist, that one's like behind glass, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Dylan, I think that's the uh, I think that's the news for the week. Do you want to take a seat at the round table and talk about space monkeys? Yeah, let's talk about space monkeys. This is crazy. I had no idea what this episode was going to be like. I know it's it's going to be a wild ride. So let's get into it. So, Dylan, it is season four of Howly Monkeys, and in season four, we are going to be kind of rounding up a lot of odds and ends, uh, remixes, stuff like that. The first of which is going to be uh, the band's kind of officially sanctioned 2001 dub remix album of uh, the first Gorillaz LP by the Space Monkeys, Well, I Could Come Home. Yeah, this is this is kind of a major Gorillaz release. Like, I especially remember in the, in the waning days of, of Phase 1.5, you know, always wandering idly past the gorilla section in my local record store and seeing a copy of, of it would always be there yeah it yeah. would always be there it would always be there it was so omnipresent and, and such a major release and a little bit of a head scratcher at the time too like i was i was pretty young and didn't know a whole lot about how the music industry works but even then i thought this is weird that this like this genre exercise remix of a full album that I already own exists. Is this a yeah, normal thing? I had thing, no idea you know? what it was when I picked it up. It's a very interesting singular entry in the Gorillaz discography. And I think a lot of uh, fans who are even familiar with it um, kind of only have like a real vague idea of what it, what it was really or how it worked. 
I mean, I know that you and I weren't totally sure about like all the specificities of the uh, the project, were we? No, and and that's why uh, I started reaching out over the week to uh, to three of the monkeys themselves, to Gava and Desire and Dubversive. Just right, all those all those characters we read about in Rise of the Ogre. Just making some hail mary passes, figuring well, we it'd be nice to get a little bit of original research on this. Never expecting that we would hear back from any of them. No, but we are significantly more in about the project though because uh this morning at 5 a.m we had the uh pleasure of talking to dubversive of the uh space monkeys amazing dubversive himself dubversive the the hear no evil space monkey skyped right into the show and talked to us all about like a come home there's so much to learn trevor right we we were able to dig some interesting tidbits out of this so uh what do you say should we turn it over to richie and and see what he has to say about like a come home yeah, let's, uh, before we talk about the album, let's talk to Richie. Richie, thanks so much for coming on Hallelujah Monkeys. We're so excited to be talking to you today. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the program. No problem. We were chatting together yesterday on Skype. You mentioned you're working on something with George Clinton right now. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, a fellow space monkey, Darren DJ Desire Galia, is involved in that too. Oh, wow. Yeah, Smudge All Stars, um, which is my way of gathering together some people I've worked with over the years, including Pee Wee Ellis, Fred Wesley, Omar from here, Dennis Bavell, George Clinton, and he dropped this beautiful vocal on a track for me. So that's in the making, as is a new Space Monkeys EP, I might add. Are you kidding me? What? Whoa, what? Breaking news. Yeah, so we're, we're trying to do an umbrella label for this funk project and a kind of neo-dub, we call it, uh, Space Monkeys project as well which coordinating the two things together me and dj desire that's exciting is that going to be is that going to be gorillas affiliated or just space monkeys off on their own doing space monkey stuff i think it'd probably be independent we're just going to try and get a label we're sort of modeling ourselves on ninja tunes where you go to a label because you know the label is always interesting and by label i mean a, a spotify page and a youtube channel and all the usual stuff and just put great music in it from our various projects, you know, the cool stuff, as I said earlier, you know. Where do we go to, where do we watch to for activity on that front? Because a lot of people listening would be very excited to hear that. I'll keep you informed. I'll keep you informed. It's all in development. We're still at the music stage. So we're talking to uh, various people to coordinate this as a label. So I, I reckon we'll, well, I'll have something more definite by the later autumn new year and i'll let you know now that i've got contact detail for you holy shit trevor new new space monkeys it's wild that's that's the news we get right off the bat i know right and, and of course i'll send you exclusive mixes immediately oh i'm so excited yeah here's here's something that i've kind of noticed is that we all kind of have a, a, a hazy picture of space monkeys how it worked how it came back yeah but i just want to i want to clarify a few things so that we understand the timeline of events mm -hmm. okay okay so the, the official party line is that Darren remixed Tomorrow Comes Today for Damon. Damon said, why don't you do this to the whole album? Then he hooks up with you. Is this all correct so far? It's almost. He, he did a remix of 19, 2000. He did Jungle Fresh, not Tomorrow Comes Today. So oh. he'd done that. He'd done that with his fellow co cohort from Jamiroquai, which is Gava, Gavin Dodds. So Darren then becomes part of Gorillaz. 
Um, me and Darren have worked four years. I mean, since he was about 16, I, I sort of, he was kind of my little talented DJ guy who had the, the street sensibility, if you like. And, um, <laughs> everyone needs one of those. I actually got him over to walk, work with George Clinton when he was 17 in Detroit. And this is 1987. Right. Um, and from then on, as Darren, did his stuff, Jamiroquai Gorillas, he would call me, you know, if there was a big remix gig came up and I'd get involved. So Darren and Gavin did 19-2000 into Jungle Fresh, played it to Damon. He said, great, do the whole album. Darren then called me, so I became the third part of this group. The first thing we did, me and Darren, was go to Ronnie Wood's house. He was going out with Leia Woods, the daughter of Ronnie he, he had a setup at the house and we did um star child dub space nine or dub zero nine or however you want to call yeah, it yeah so that was the first one that I got involved with so we did that um and then we started to sort of program up ideas in fact I got on with tomorrow come stay at home then um right. then we got a box full of all the multi-tracks from Damon. And and that was like the green light, right? Here we go. And what we did was we went to a residential studio for three months. <laughs> it, it was a serious extravaganza. I mean, it was a real roll your sleeves up, go in, come out the other side, and, and that's how it got done. What was the workflow like between the three of you? How did you divide duties between the three of you? It, it, was, it was actually very very egalitarian we would sort of you know burn out you know do a three-hour stretch on some kind of detail what it came down to i mean we're all we all know our reggae being londoners you know uh, i've i've got a long history of working in reggae between us we we could cover all the instruments except brass pretty much um which was all done by mike smith also a long-term associate of damon Albarn. yeah still still actively involved with the gorillas project still in the mix, yeah, and he did all the brass arrangements. Um, we got a percussionist called Jeff Scanterbury. We had various vocal guests, as you know, Hugh Brown, Earl 16, and a few others. Um, but in terms of putting it together musically, Darren, being a DJ, was the real arbiter of taste to give it a kind of a modern edge. I was kind of like a one-man rhythm section with a few bass players added in, Stuart Zender, etc., um, and Gavin was the more the melodic um, side of things, you know, being a guitarist. And so we were in a studio with a kit set up, a Hammond organ, an upright piano, synth stuff, you know, and we lived there. And it just evolved, you know, really. Uh, it, it was it was a wonderful experience. I mean, there were some, some serious meltdowns as well, you know, and some pretty edgy moments, as you can imagine, <laughs> over that sort of period of time. Oh, I got I to gotta follow up on that. Can you remember any moment where it all came to a head? Uh, oh, well, yeah, what can I say? I mean, me and Darren are both Leos, and um, we, if we would have flashpoints, you know, moments of disagreement about one thing or the other. And uh, but we'd get over it and sort of move on, and you know, uh, it, it was an amazing experience. We were all very proud of that record. Can't make a can't make a good record if you don't care about it. So that's that's just a symptom of caring. Can't make a dub remix album without breaking a few eggs. That's true. 
No, exactly. And also, to be honest, if, if you do seriously care about something, you're going to have passionate disagreements, you know, artistically, which can get a little personal. But we're all big, big, old and ugly enough to kind of move on and bury the hatchet. So <laughs> we got we got through it, and we're still friends. So yeah, as I say, we're very proud of it as a piece. Actually, sorry, I've failed. To, I've missed one part of the story out, which is very interesting. The first, the very first thing we did was go to Dave Stewart from the Eurythmics House in the south of France in Cannes uh, with Stuart Zender and and did a bunch of stuff there. Right, Zender also also a, a Jamiroquai uh, guy, right? He's also a Jamiroquai guy, yeah. So he he's very big friends with. Darren and we they packed the car up with the recording studio drove out to Dave Stewart's splendid house with the pool and all that in South France I popped over we got a few grooves going down there like um, um, man mission is it or oh man research or? man research thank you sorry I'm showing it's been a, been a few years um, yeah we did that groove down there a couple of them we sort of developed down at his place and that was the very initial thing after the little Ronnie Wood session and by that point we then booked this residential long session. I mean, it's not that far from London, so you could sort of pop home every now and again. It wasn't, you know, in the middle of the woods, nowhere. In, 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 to all intents and purposes, it's such a big job to do, to take, you know, what arguably at that time was like the hottest album on the planet and remix it, you know. It was no mean feat. Big responsibility. Yeah, it was. In some ways, it's a constraint. When you're just remixing a song, you pick a song you like. When you have to remix an album, it doesn't matter what you think about the songs. You've got to remix them anyway, you know? Absolutely. And, and that, you know, remixing an album is quite an unusual thing to do. It's just, I, I, I haven't done one. Well, no, I've done, no, I did do a kind of similar sort of thing, but not something with that kind of profile, you know, where everyone knew the melodies and so on and so forth. One of the, the things that we did do was really not lean on, the, the classically commercially known melodies. So if we were going to tackle, say, oh, I've got sunshine in a bag, blah, 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 we wouldn't use that melody hardly at all. Smartly, smartly. Find your own hooks, find your own hooks. Well, that, that, that I have to say, was Darren's direction. You know, I'd say, what are you talking about? You know, that's that's what the bit everyone knows is going exactly. So we won't use that bit. <laughs> <laughs> the arbiter of taste. There are really only, like, I think two tracks or maybe three that kind of follow the traditional structure of the songs. Uh, all the other ones are kind of just more like more nebulous explorations of the stuff. That's right yeah they're, they're the kind of homage you know rather yes. than direct remix and and i've got to say one of my favorite remixes ever is the is the one that was done of of what we called fistful of peanuts right the clint eastwood mix the clint eastwood mix by that garage guy which was just incredible you know a great remix and so again you know there were certain remixes out there that were really kicking that again we didn't want to crawl up there posterior with you know a, a repetition <laughs> of, and also don't forget you know what a classic remix is take the hook do a new groove and there's your remix so right. th but this was like no avoid the hook completely rewrite it <laughs> and then just put a little snippet in so you go oh my god it's that track you know it had to hang together as an album if as it had well. just been it would have it would have turned into a novelty record really if it had just been here's all of the songs you already know with with reggae grooves behind it you know yeah and it does feel a lot more like it does feel like a lot more than a novelty record 
for sure. And also, don't, don't forget, you've got like the G sides compilation of all the remixes for various people. So what that wasn't that kind of project. It was something slightly different. So um, we embraced it in that regard, you know, and stretched ourselves creatively, which was lovely, you know. Um, so one of uh, the most interesting things uh, to me about Laika is uh, you have uh, Terry Hall of the Specials doing some vocals on there, who's like one of the most influential uh, acts on the first album. How was he um, brought into the project? Brought in? Well, I think that was down to Damon because he is a great admirer of the Specials and... I remember we did a Radio 1 session and and he basically described him as like the best Yob voice on the planet. Yob in in, in UK parlance means it's boy backwards, right? Yob. A Yob is like a skinhead delinquent teenager, really. (laughs) Right, yeah. You know, it's just something about his presence is is very... He comes from a part of the UK called Coventry, which has got heavily bombed in the war so it's a little bit of a disillusioned part of the uk um and it and it it, it spawned two-tone right the like 80s ska movement yeah it uniquely came from this town in coventry through the likes of joey dammers and terry hall so him him having him on that record was quite significant and and then getting him to do M1A1 on the Space Monkeys album was all Damon's. He's so playful. He's so fun. It's such a fun performance. I, I love when he name drops the Space Monkeys. Yeah, that's a great note to go out on. And and the vocal delivery is, to put it mildly, it's kind of nonchalant. It's disaffected. It's 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 the use. You, do you know the specials? Yes, of course. Love the specials, yeah. So, you know, you've done too much, much too young. You're married with a kid. You should be having fun with me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He's the voice of the disaffected youth of the UK. And 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 as I say, in the in the radio session, I, I said to Damon, I said, come on, why don't we all go in and sing M1A1? You know, he went, no, 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 because Terry's, he's the yob. He's the yob voice of doom. You know, you just get him double tracked. The yob voice of doom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That beats his that beats his previous nickname. Don't call me Scarface by a country. Yeah, Mile. that's how they refer to him in the uh, gorilla, the first gorillas documentary. Very yeah, Charts of Darkness. Yeah, Voice of Doom. I think that's better. So then you mentioned you Brown and Earl Sixteen. Both of those guys have a have a, a pretty incredible pedigree uh, in the sort of dance hall and, and reggae worlds. Well, this is kind of where I came into it. I, I've got a very long history of association with British reggae. Um, through Dennis Bavell, Dennis Blackbeard Bavell, and the dub band, which I joined when I was very, very young as a drummer. That that is kind of my core instrument. Um, so I was this strange little white kid from London who was banging to Roots Reggae and got into a Roots Reggae band, then made an album with Linton Quasi Johnson, and then over the years got to know a few reggae luminaries. And then when it came to getting some new guests for the Space Monkeys, I could call on a couple of good friends, L16 being one and U Brown being the other one. And we, we were going to use Horace Andy, but we couldn't quite coordinate it. I went to see him. So that was unfortunately one that got away. Um, but I'd been working with Horace. I'd been working with Earl and U Brown independently on different projects around that time. So when this came up, it was like, right. Let's get these guys, you know. And you, Brown, was incredible because that track, um, that break that he toasts over, 
is seven bars long. You know, da, 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 And he vamps over the whole thing. It's so great. No, mate. No, mate. He He was standing in the doorway. The groove is on. He starts to toast, as we call it. And and it's like, oh, that's that's perfect, perfect, right? Get him a microphone. And not only did he drop a great lyric on it, but he actually got those breaks in in the in awkward amount of time that they are. They're not eight bars long; they're seven bars long, which is really tricky. And he just nailed it. And to this day, I found that quite extraordinary. It's so beautiful. That moment when that that break resolves into that big major chord is like one of the prettiest moments on the whole record, I think. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, Richie, three songs from the original album don't appear on Leica. There's uh, Double Bass, Rock the House, and uh, Latin Simone. Were attempts ever made on uh, those tracks to kind of give them the Space Monkeys treatment? No, we limited ourselves to... It was a feasibility study. <laughs> They've done Jungle Fresh. I ended up playing drums in it, and we put brass on it. Um, then we went straight for the, the obvious ones. Tomorrow Comes Today, la, 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 la. So they were the ones that you were definitely going to do. Then there were the kind of sort of more... The, the, the Gorillaz album tracks as well as our album tracks by virtue of the fact that they were a little bit more esoteric. And then if you think of something like Punked, you know, turning that into reggae is quite an undertaking. So I think there was only, a, you know, so many of those that we wanted to tackle just, just for feasibility. Right. Because you listen to it and you think, you know what, where are we going to go with this? It's it's too complicated. Like Latin into funk could be very cheesy right? if you're not careful. Yeah, and I can see why Rock the House didn't get translated as well. Then. Yeah, we wanted to keep it dark as well, the record. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, maybe breezy, but nighttime vibes, you know? Yeah, very, very sort of, you know, down home, dim the lights. Okay, I'm going to get granular with you, man. I got some I got some, some real nerd questions for you here. Good, good. I love those. I was, I was pouring through the liner notes. I got a, I got a couple of names I want to run by you. So uh-huh. Jungle Fresh mentions a cast in its player named Jack Scythe. No information about him. Oh, yes, yes, I, yes, I feel yes. like that must be a pseudonym. Is that a real guy or a pseudonym? Yes. It, it's a joke. It's Jack Shite. <laughs> <laughs> it's our little gag, yeah. I think uh-huh. we found a couple of those. <laughs> I think I found a second one, too. Brian Piss on for the strings yes, on Crooked yes. Dub. <laughs> Shit and piss. <laughs> Absolute bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> who's who's actually responsible for those castanets on uh, on Jungle Fresh? Probably me, I'm guessing. Nice, you're Jack Shite. That's another one of your AKAs. Jack Shite. What was the one, Brian? Brian Piss. Brian Piss. For uh, for Piss, yes. strings yes, yes. on Crooked Dub. <laughs> Pretty good. Yeah, Darren's idea yeah. that one. <laughs> and yeah. then, uh, and then, here's another weird one. What about uh, so Pete Collis? Uh, he he co-engineered, I believe, every track on the album. Right. And on on the song Depunked, he said to have played an incendiary device. Right. I'm wondering if there's a story behind that. I I imagine that he just he he sparked up uh, a bong or something. I'm guessing Pete Collis was the engineer on the original album. So in other words, because we used some of the audio from the original, we credit him. I think you find there's a big explosion at the end of it. Oh, yes, of course. That's the incendiary device, I guess. I think, again, we probably just added that as a bit of, just to, just to boost up the fiction, you know, of the monkeys and the dog and flying out to space and interrupting with the frequencies and all that whole, because of the cartoon nature of it, you know, to just embellish 
reality a little. So I think that's where incendiary device Brian Piss and and um, <laughs> Jack Shite came from. <laughs> to have a bit of fun with it in universe, in universe, right? Yeah. Speaking of in universe, uh, Richie, I have a question. Um, I'm not going to hold it against you if the answer is no. But have you read the um, in universe biography of Gorillas: Rise of the Ogre? Yeah, I've got the book. So are you aware that there's a full page devoted to uh, fictional in universe um, information about the space monkeys? Yes, I am. There's a little two-page spread, yes. And I've read my biography regarding Natalie and Brulia, and I can tell you it's all true. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah, it's great. It's lovely to be in the book. Lovely to be part of the history of the whole Well, thing. in that case, maybe you can true or false us on a few details from your from your, your fictional dossier and tell us what's, what's yes. truth and what's fiction. Okay, go on then. Dubversive, that's you. Um, that's me. You're the hear no evil monkey, and uh, you're a big fan of red wine. Uh, well, uh, that's an allusion to my uh, previous incarnation as a very heavy drinker. Oh, sure. Which I'm, okay. so I, I'm not anymore. Good for you. Congratulations. I, I, I was I was known to enjoy rather too much alcohol back in the day. Yeah, <laughs> so that was their gentle way of dropping that little bar. Michelle, yeah. I believe they also said that you're overly fond of absinthe. That's some that's some serious drinking. Well, no, I was because I used to have a bottle of absinthe on my shelf while I was making that record. So that the home part of it, so you've got quite a big setup at home and you're doing the pro programming aspect. But I did, I, I hate to admit, have a bottle of absinthe on the shelf and I just swig from the bottle, you know. I used to think that, you know, to get things really out there, you had to go out there and me and George Clinton and spoke about this and we he's he's sobered up as well bless him and uh we, we did a session a few years ago and, and we both agreed you try and find this thing down the end of whatever substances you you choose and in the end it's good it's good for research but there comes a point when it's not a good look and uh and you kind of know what you need to know to be psychedelic trippy whatever you want to say what it comes down to, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little bit moralistic here for the kids, but it's actually all about skills and musicianship and, and all of that. It's not really about how far out you can push your noodle, if you know what I mean. Right, that's maybe less than 1% yeah, right. of the process, and like you said. Well, like you know what it's like. You hear a lot of mythology about, say, reggae done by people completely stoned out of their minds. It's not true. To play that well, you have to be sharp. Right. You know? Right. Mm-hmm. So that's the truth of that. But yeah, the, the red wine mention was just a little dig in the ribs from from my friend. <laughs> and the book uh, the book also mentions that you're fond of TV reruns, uh, particularly uh, T.J. Hooker. Um, I'm, I'm a bit of a Trekkie. Really? Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> T.J. Hooker, I've got to say. What do you think? Uh, 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 original series or next generation? I, I mean, nothing, nothing at all after the original series. I mean, I'm I'm a I'm a child of the '60s, so sure. you know that those sort of Technicolor crazy programs back in the day appealed to me. City on the Edge of Tomorrow, it's like one of the best teleplays ever written. Dad, let me tell you that I have embarked upon a, another project where we went and got, I found a website which had a synopsis of all the original Star Trek um, plot lines and we were planning to write a tune on each one for a fun, like a outer space funk out. So yeah, I mean, yeah, there a lot of thought went into those those things, you know. Well, I wanted to ask, did you did you ever find that was the Gorillas camp super hands on during the production of Leica, or were you kind of left to your own devices? No, we were really left to it. I think Darren had done such a good job of the first one that Damon was literally like, 
just get on with it, mate. You know, so we did literally get on with it and book our own time here, there, and just got up to it. There was no real schedule on it. We weren't, you know, due for any particular release date. And uh, we we coordinate quite a lot with Jamie and and everyone at Zombie Flesh Eaters, who they're all local. Damon's place is in West London. Darren's living in West London. And, and Zombie Flesh Eaters was in West London. So we'd sort of, once the thing was ready, we, we were in and out grabbing big boxes of T-shirts and looking at the little videos. I, I mean, the artwork was absolutely fantastic. I mean, it, unbelievably great job on the cover and everything. So largely left to our own sort of thing as a satellite project. We did do a Radio 1 session with Damon um there and l16 there you know i remember i remember that session from back in the day i could not i looked high and low for it this week and i couldn't find it well i've actually got that somewhere i i be getting communication with email i can get you a copy of that oh that'd be amazing that'd be great wow yeah and we sort of hung out because their management was in the same building as zombie flesh eaters which was around the corner from buff space so it was all local in west london so we sort of mill about a little bit you know and funnily enough, Natalie Imbruglio was in that building. <laughs> That's what she came into the picture. We were in the bar with Damon one afternoon and Jamie, and Natalie Imbruglio was on the next table. I must have said something, made a rod for my own back. So when the fiction was created, that was in there. <laughs> right. It's kind of like that. You know, be careful what you say. Yeah. So uh, Damon's talked in some interviews about uh, the Space Monkeys were originally planning to do a follow-up remix album of uh, Demon Days, but that uh, never materialized. Can you um, tell us anything about it? Like maybe how far you got? Yeah, so basically by the time we get to Demon Days and, you know, Space Monkeys has done what it's doing and the first album's done what it, it had done, which was incredible business. As Demon Days is looming... By this point, Darren is, is a remix team with Stuart Zender called Chopper. And they're doing one track off Demon Days, which is Dirty Harry. I get called, can you come in, you know, give us your, you know, once over on this mix. So I go into Buff Space and we do that mix that you've heard as Chopper. Now, if you look at the credits on the Chopper mix, it will say Diversive on it. That's you. Yeah. So basically, it's not a Space Monkeys remix, even though it's got two Space Monkeys on it. That's that's interesting, right? Yeah. So the, so I I don't know what the logistics of maybe it was just con- deemed too complicated to do another whole album remix under one umbrella title, but I think we sort of stepped in, gone. Here's another one of ours, slightly different lineup. Stuart Zender, me and Darren. It's some, sometimes what you do is you have these brilliant ideas and in the end you sort of kind of muddy the water a little bit and it gets a bit confusing, you know, because you're throwing names around. But to cut a long story short, that's what we did on the second record and then it didn't go further than that for, for reasons unknown. I don't know. Was there talk, though, at the time about where, it, where you might take it if it had continued? Well, what we were hoping, actually, was to do a completely independent record. We were sort of neck and neck with Roots Maneuver in the press over here. So our plan was to actually do a complete original album as ourselves. And for one reason or another, probably people get busy. Actually, Gavin, in case you don't know, he lives in Australia. So, you know, that makes things a little tricky. As I say, we're doing that now. You know, we've been jamming and doing little ideas down down the road. We did a remix for B-Plan, 
plan B that didn't work, didn't get used, but it's a great groove that's been sitting there for ages that we are always meaning to get vocal. So we're just planning on a few amazing guests on some of our jams with view to doing an umbrella label for this funk project and a new Space Monkeys original project. I know it's ridiculous, it's taken God knows how many years, but life gets in the way and busy doing other stuff, you know, both of, all three of us. That's so exciting, though. That's so exciting. That's really exciting, yeah. I mean, if you've got to, got to realize as well is that, you know, a remix project by its very nature is is reworking someone else's stuff. So it, it's not your whole, you know, raison d'etre. It's, it's something you do as a kind of, uh, you know, lending your interpretation to someone else's work. So actually, doing the completely original project is, is a, a longer term process to, to develop, you know, and I, and I would say, you know, Darren had two kids in the meantime and so, you know, we've all been busy doing one thing and another, but I think, I think we're, we're on the cusp of having a few little gems now, pretty ready, we've got someone who looks like they'll coordinate it, we've got this funk project which I'm really, really happy with, it's kind of my baby if you like and we're all it always all involved in all each other's music so fingers crossed i think we're close to having a little foray again all right yeah it sounds like there's a lot of cool stuff on the horizon space monkeys ep coming yeah there's a few bits and pieces yeah so uh richie maybe just one more question to wrap up uh for a lot of gorillas fans like a come home might be uh really the only dub album they've ever heard where would you recommend they go next if they wanted to kind of uh get some more experience with that genre mm. well i would say in my personal humble opinion if they want one record and 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 i'm not going to bother to try and catch this in what i call neo-dub it's just dub is scientist meets the space invaders oh classic Great one. so good Sci- scientist is you know just fucking essential scientist meets the space invaders listen to that bastard record he's probably got a delay <laughs> And a spring reverb, and it's mind-blowing. Yeah, go check that out. Wait till the sun goes down. Listen to it at night. That's what I say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the first track, Beam Down, is mind-boggling and, and very Star Trek-related. <laughs> yeah, he, he, li- he likes playing around a lot with the sci-fi themes and stuff like that. He does. He yeah. certainly does. For yeah. sure. Well, hey, we, this was amazing, Richie. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Yeah, Richie, it's so so cool to have spoken with you. And keep in touch, you know, and any updates, or I'll give you any little exclusives I can. And if I'm in LA or Oregon, I shall be in touch. Very cool. Yeah, you're always welcome to come back on the show. Yeah, we'll expect you back on when that when that Space Monkeys EP drops. Thank you so much, Richie. Glad to speak to you. You know what, Trevor? Here on Howling Monkeys, we don't just report on Gorilla's news. We make it ourselves. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it really feels like uh, we are the, this phase, we are the ones with our hands on the pulse, doesn't it? But I got to say, honestly, I am really, especially after spending the week with this album, Like I Come Home, I'm really excited about the idea of an EP from Gava and Desire and Dubversive of all original dub music. That's exciting to me. Totally. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, and the fact that he led right out the gate with that that blew my mind it's like oh we're going to be interviewing a space monkey that's cool i wonder if he's going to have anything interesting to say and he comes in with oh by the way new material soon so unexpected because i mean 2002 like a a cam home came out so it's been it's been 15 years since we've heard from the space monkeys yeah i mean people make a big deal about like gorillas taking seven years off but i mean come on Space Monkeys going on almost two decades. So with that, with that added context, uh, should we get into our, our track by track deep dive? 
Yeah, why don't we uh, take a look at Laika come home? Here's the main question that I had rattling in my head this week that I wanted to ask you. Does your does your sort of overtime lukewarm feelings about the the gorilla self-title does that put a limit on your ability to kind of enjoy Leica as its own thing not at all because a lot of these songs uh, like we talked to richie they don't really adhere to uh the original versions at least not in structure or form or even usually vocals a lot of them are just kind of more nebulous kind of new stuff that kind of exists in the orbit of the uh, self-titled yeah that that's a that's a good way of putting it and, I, and and a few key points on the album they even did a really good job kind of boiling some of those songs down to their essence just tone wise you know what i mean definitely yeah i'm very excited it's been a while since we've reviewed an album proper i'm very excited to share our our adjectives with each other trevor it's like a definitely yeah yeah you it's like a, with yours a first. grand tradition i'll do mine first i'll do mine first All right I went with improvisatory, heavy, and nerdy. Interesting. Why nerdy? I, I think the reason that the album is a, such a successful dub reggae album made by a white, a bunch of white British dudes is that they're all super nerdy about this stuff. Right. They know their shit. Exactly. There's the kind of like respect and and deep well of knowledge for the history of dub that only a nerd could kind of bring to a project like this. Okay. Nerdy, by the way, I mean 100% as a, as a compliment. Yes, I think that um, ties into a couple of my words as well, because I brought to the table this week, um, I've got exploratory. Great. Authentic. Awesome. And sincere. That's a really good, that's an actually probably, if there's a best in show of the, of the six adjectives we just laid on the table, I'm, I'm giving it to sincere. I think that perfectly describes this project. Yeah, I mean, we talk so much, so much about remixes that are kind of just feel phoned in or almost like cash-in attempts, but this really feels like there was a lot of love put into it and a lot of respect for both the source material and the kind of um, influences that they were drawing on to make this new stuff. Yeah, and, and it helps the way that Richie kind of laid it out. It helps that each Space Monkey had a, had a deliberate, distinct role and, and one that almost corresponds to like a traditional band setup. You know, you've got your You've got your instrumental melodic side, you've got your your percussive bass and, and drum side, and you've got kind of your front man the, who's who's guiding the the project. I think that that also contributes to these songs feeling like more than just simple remixes, you know? Yeah, I was surprised to learn how um, traditionally, uh, I guess, band-oriented this uh, the making of this album turned out to be. Should we get right into the, the track by track, Trevor? Yeah, let's go ahead. We've got first up Jungle Fresh, which is the, the, the remix of 192000. I'm going to throw in kind of a, a big dump of credits here, Trevor, because a lot of them sure, are consistent ahead. throughout the track. But, uh, let's, let's get them out there. Here and throughout, horns, of course, are arranged by Mike Smith, uh, the incomparable Mike Smith. Here and throughout, we've got percussion by Jeff Scantleberry. Uh, and this is, of course, the song, Trevor, with the castanets by Jack Scheidt. Of course, yeah. So this is, this like we talked about, this was kind of the first one they they did. And this feels very, like, proof of concept, Yes, you know and, what I mean. And there's actually some misinformation floating around because the, the internet seems to claim often that, that Banyana Baby, the the Tomorrow Comes Today one, was the original demo, and uh, and I'm glad that Richie was able to kind of correct the record on that. Me too, yeah. I mean, I imagine that that knowledge just goes around because that was the first one officially released. You know, Mike Smith, I think, sh- should really be credited as the Force Space Monkey because his his horns are are on pretty much every track, and uh, frequently and- some of my favorite parts of the songs as well. Yeah, he does some really creative stuff. Like I love how he yeah. interpolates the the first call fanfare in this one. That yeah, 
that's like really fun and playful. Um, yeah, I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, Trevor, but the, but I have like nostalgic associations with this one because you, you could play the original version of it, the 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 Darren solo, I believe, production of it. Uh, by going into Murdoch's Trans Am and, and pushing it into the 8-track player. Right, I wasn't around for that kind of stuff, but you, you said that this makes you feel nostalgic about it, yeah? Yeah, and I think part of it is just that, like, I'm an only child, and it it made, distinctly gave me the feeling that I was, like, smoking weed in my cool older brother's car <laughs> listening to a dub reggae tape that he had, you know? Right, everybody needs those moments, right? This is actually, I'm because of that and because I think it's really effective, even though it's like one of the more straightforward cuts on the record, I do consider this in my top three. I like uh, I like the vibe of it. It's got like nighttime vibes, but it's also very colorful and, and chromatic and fun, you know? I like the vibes on this one too. I don't love the slowed down vocals. Those kind of kill it for me. I don't know. It's also got a really good bass line. Yeah, I mean, everything instrumentally I love going on here, the vocals just sound a little too processed and kind of worked on to for me to really get down with that yeah i could feel that you know it's so interesting yeah. i think 19 2000 would have sucked as an album opener for for the self-titled but this version of it is a really good opener for like a come home yeah it totally it just lets you know what you're in for you want to move into strictly rub-a-dub the slow country right, the remix? slow country remix this one is absolutely sublime my number one on the record this is my number two on the record so already we've got two of my three top top three it's all downhill from here the credit the credit that we must talk about is you brown because boy what an amazing performance he he absolutely kills it toasting on this track so good and like i'm yeah you could you could just visualize it the way richie was explaining it with him sort of standing in that doorway just improvising that toast and then being like oh god get him on get him on the mic right now <laughs> yeah i love that i love that um that low-pitched kind of squelchy synth part that he said is like in um in sevenths or something yeah it's like a, what is it seven bars instead of eight or something or seven measures yeah, i can't remember yeah. exactly how it, mm-hmm. it is a weird yeah it's like a very weird off-kilter uh vamp but it but he just fits over it beautifully and the guitars are great and the horn swells here are fantastic and then here and throughout we've got really good bass work from phil soul who i believe works with richie uh <clears throat> on what Richard refers to as his day job playing for the Boy George band Culture Club. I, I believe Phil Solo right, is also right. in the Culture Club. Okay. I, it, this one's just, it, it's, it's so good, this one. It really feels like a natural extension of the song. Like, I would almost love to see, like, the Gorillaz live band play Slow Country and then maybe go into, like, a minute of this at the that'd end. That'd be sick. And especially if they could get if they could get you, Brown, out there, that'd be amazing. Uh, imagine. One of my favorite moments, too, is, like, really early on when they drop that little City Life. Like, they very sparingly use Damon in this, but they drop that City yeah. Life, and, th- and then there's a, a little bit of, like, Dead Spade, and then this assault of, like, this specter-esque wall all of horns just comes in like so good. <laughs> so good. I love when they just drop in the A and it's like got all this vocal like echo on it. Isn't that great? I love this yeah, song. This is really good. Let's talk about what a lot of people consider to be their favorite on this record. Maybe not me included, but Banyana Baby, the, the Tomorrow Comes Today remix. Yeah, this isn't among my favorites. I mean, I actually enjoyed it a lot more this time around than I remember uh, liking it back when I would listen to this album more frequently. It almost sounds like it could have been on like the second Massive Attack album, uh, Protection, which that, I think yeah, makes a lot of sense. It is that It does have that kind of trip-hoppy vibe like the 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 synth that it's built around is very metronomish in a way you know right it's got like a low stomp to it it just doesn't exactly go anywhere that that gets me too excited but this is the first appearance of uh of stuart zender the the original basis of jamiroquai uh i believe he's trading off actually between 
Paul Soul and Stuart Sender bass lines on this song, Trevor. And apparently Earl 16 is doing some vocals on here, but I, I listened to this song all week. I could not tell you where Earl 16 is on this song. Yeah, I wouldn't really be able to point that out. This one's pretty cool, though. It really, like, um, amps up the late night vibe. Like, if Tomorrow Comes Today takes place at, like, 11 p.m., this one is, like, 2 in the morning. I feel like it does successfully set a mood. I just wish it had a bit more going on or, or a, maybe a second half with a gear shift in it, you know? Yeah, this is one of the ones where I wish it was a little, it used a little more from the original song, like, a, a little more of Damon's vocals. Because, like I said, if it did, it would basically just be a really, really good Massive Attack song. Or even just whatever Earl 16 was doing, you could have put more of that in there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Throw that in. Uh, but let's get on to, to a highlight from this record for sure, which is uh, Monkey Racket, the, the remix of Man Research. This one is an absolute jam. Number two on the album for me. It's, it's not in my top three, but it's definitely in my top five. It's, it's either number four or number five in my top five. But, but uh, Stuart Zender is back not only playing bass, but also a clavinet, which is like a really cool electric clavichord, you know? And it sounds great on that. Like, so it good. sounds great in this one. Yeah, I mean, and the bass is so heavy. It's Ugh. just, yeah, this one's like a monster. The, the yeah, yeah, yeahs are like deployed absolutely perfectly as well. Let me tell you something about Like Come Home for you people listening. Take your fucking earbuds out and go find a decent set of speakers because there's a lot of sub bass on this record and it, God forbid you listen to an album you know, ambiently on some speakers with, with a subwoofer, but this album will come alive if you do that. Yeah, it's a very deep listen. And, and I love the beat switch. You've got like the stomp during the melodica section and then during the yeah, yeah, yeahs, it goes into like a dance hall, like dun, dun. Yeah, dun, dun. love That's it. So love good. It. The the melodica here is great too. There's also some really subtle and like almost like textural scratch work from Darren on here from Desire. Uh, he has a very different approach as a turntablist to Kid Koala. Like Kid Koala is very much like this is the sample. I'm right up in your face with it. I'm, I'm practically performing a guitar solo on this this tape deck right now. Whereas whereas Darren is much more interested in just kind of filling in sounds with his with his scratching. You know, atmospherics a more atmospheric approach maybe. This is a perfect example of what I was talking about, Trevor. Where like the mood of the original track, even though it's totally transformed, is really preserved and maybe even like highlighted. It really comes through. I totally agree. Yeah, it's like trance-like, sweaty yeah. energy, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about Depunked. <laughs> Depunked, the punk mix. <laughs> this, what do you think about the vibe on this one? Does this one also translate uh, from the original for you? Uh, no, <laughs> no, it doesn't. I feel like... Uh, I think it, it feels like a sequel in a good way. You, I, I was, I was going to talk... I wanted to talk to you about this song a little bit. Like, what is the thesis statement of the album, and is this song cheating? Like... Is there enough from punk for this to actually be like a reimagining of that song? Well, I think this one does kind of uh, push the envelope a little bit, doesn't it? But I mean, you got Damon saying shut up. That's true. He is in there. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know. I like I like thinking of this as kind of like a sequel or kind of a different side of punk. It's kind of got the same like attitude but just a lot sleepier i could kind of see that there's some really pretty vibraphone on this uh and the horns are great i'm glad that this is on here but sort of like richie was saying in the interview like they would have had to do the same thing to say you know rock the house or or latin simone and i'm glad that they just kind of kept it to this one you know right for the total like radical we only used 10 percent of the original source material 
Cuts on the record. Hey, I have a I have a discussion question for you. Let's hear it. All right. So the three ones that they didn't attempt to remix were Rock the House, Latin Simone, and Double Bass. If you could have a Space Monkified version of any of those three, which would you pick? You know, even though he called it cheesy, I would really love to see what they would do with that Abraham Ferrer vocal and that MC would be cool, Latin Simone. It? I would really be interested in seeing them uh, flip double bass. I think that would be really cool. I think that has a lot of potential, actually. I think that would have been really doable. You can almost kind of hear the plink plinks uh, in double bass if you drop them in your head, you know? Easy. Don't get me wrong. I do think that there's a high likelihood that Latin Simone Space Monkey Fight would definitely sound corny and ridiculous. I just think it would be fun to hear. Yeah, I trust they could have made it work. You want to talk about uh, P45, the 5-4 remix? Sure. Now, a P45, I believe that's like an unemployment slip or something. Yeah, I guess the way it is, is if you get fired or if you quit in the UK, you you get a P45. So then vernacularly, you could say, I took my P45 or I asked for my P45, which means I quit, or I was given my P45, which means I was fired. Okay. There's an intro beat here, Trevor. I do like how some of these songs have like distinct little intro, outro, mini sections to them, you know? Yeah, little, little just kind of snippets of other stuff tacked on at the end. I like those a lot, too. This one's really fun because the beat like really reminds me of Jumpin' Jumpin' by Destiny's Child. It's got that kind of like stop-start, you know, club thing. It's kind of like a little piano and guitar-driven tune. It's sort of slightly more interpretive of 5-4 than, than D-Punk was of Punk, but it's still like one of the bigger stretches on the album, I think. like it's, it's... But again, Damon's vocals sound great on this one. I would say, though, that like if you compare this to, say, Rub-A-Dub or, or Monkey Racket, like two of the songs that that have similar vibes on this record it doesn't quite stand up to either of those like this is like a good solid mid-album cut for me but it doesn't necessarily you know explode into this really memorable highlight no yeah it's just a kind of a little more uh breezier uh pace setting kind of thing i think yeah i agree and then like at 340 there's a really good uh lively like fun horn track in it that's kind of like it's really fun and it does kind of like a call and response thing with the vocals almost at some points which i like a lot what we should do is we should get jenny beth to sing on this one that'd be pretty cool yeah i'd enjoy that I could see Jenny Beth, like, doing a weird two-tone solo album or something, you know? Totally, totally. Uh, But next we've got uh, Dub09. Yeah, which I read somewhere is pronounced Dub Space 9. I don't know why that would be true. Huh, I don't know. But this is, like, this is really high up there for me. I think uh, this is probably my second favorite on the record with uh, the Man Research one rounding at the top three. But, yeah, this one's great. This is the first one that, that Richie did work on, I believe, right? He killed this one because, honestly... I am, I might prefer this to the original song. They're both really good, but the one thing that I do love over over the original in this is that towards the end you've got that really cool little organ vamp and then that really really aggressive snare that starts coming in. That really super delayed snare that starts coming in is so good. What is the part like halfway through the song comes in and keeps going like bum bum bum? Is that like a synth or? Yeah, it sounded almost like it might have been a sample, but but I'm not totally sure. I know what you're talking about though. It sounds very like spaghetti western. Like when I hear that part, I imagine like I'm a cowboy who's just been shot by another cowboy and it's like in slow motion and maybe my shot hit him too like at the same time i almost wonder if that might that might just be gava with a really heavily affected guitar even maybe yeah but i i love this one i think it retains everything that's good about the actual song while leaning even harder into what made that song good in the first place and throwing in some like really cool new elements too and it stands to reason because obviously 
Starshine was already one of the more like Caribbean influenced uh, tracks on the original. So like, yeah, yeah, it would make sense that that translation would be pretty easy. The next one I think is a pretty pretty easy translation too. Yeah, Crooked Dub, uh, the the remix of Soundcheck Gravity. This is of course features Trevor Strings by the elusive Brian Piss. Right, of course. I actually might prefer this one to the original too. It kind of focuses more on the parts of Gravity that I like, and I like those parts a lot. And I mean, it kind of replaces the parts I don't like with something that kind of complements the good parts a little better. It certainly lifts an awful lot from the original track, probably more than any of the other, just in terms of like actual instrumentation and stuff. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I'd say structurally, instrumentally, vocally, probably like 70% of Soundcheck is here. But if the whole album was kind of like this, I feel like the album would be kind of slight for it but i'm glad that this one track is on here is like here's one direction we could have taken taken this thing you know yeah i'm glad it's it's nice to get such a good reworking of a song that like i don't really enjoy too much on the original album also madman does really good beat programming because he has the classic uh disco pew 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 (laughs) drums in there like which sound like they wouldn't work for like a, a a dubby down tempo track but it really works really cool yeah the bass line here doesn't really mutate much at all and it doesn't really deviate uh very far from the original left hand dan junior dan baseline you know right um which which i think would be fine except for a lot of that baseline is very repetitive and we do drone on it for about the last minute and a half of the song which is which is a little bit of a meh section of the song for me but yeah i mean i mean much like the original of gravity this one could definitely have been shorter yeah for sure probably not quite as shorter as the original gravity could have been what is it about this song (laughs) that just people listen to and go yeah i think this needs to be almost six minutes long it needed it needed like a rapper it could have used Mm -hmm. an actual rapper the original something something next though we've got a mutant genius uh the remix of new genius which is kind of the most conventional thing on this album i think i love the weird intro though there's this really weird intro so you've got like these these beeps in the right channel that almost sound like they're from like a respirator or some kind of medical equipment and then there's like weird swirling ghostly noises on the left channel and then there's super filtered like low pass organ like it's one of the weirdest little sonic pictures on the record just in the intro of the song i love it so much and then it morphs into this kind of like a a slightly higher tempo more like electrified version of new genius which is pretty cool yeah it's kind of grounded around this like hip-hop drum pattern that definitely works for it um yeah it really carries damon's vocals very well there's some really interesting trade-offs happening between like guitar and bass and organ like i i almost wish that there was a little bit less damon here because sometimes i feel like he gets in the way of of some really interesting stuff happening in the instrumentation yeah it's interesting because uh you know this is one of the more traditional ones but it also kind of ends up making it one of the less interesting ones i think yeah although i do love the choice to use his sort of outro ad libs but put that like flanger effect over it because that's just very funny and interesting sounding they do a lot of cool stuff to his voice in this one i love when it goes very high pitched and i also like that darren almost doubles up on the kid koala scratch solo but like does his own take on it in a very yeah yeah good scratching on this one definitely very good and i love the false ending too where where the song ends but then the groove fades back in that's like a that's a real music nerd move to to throw something in like that you know false endings are always fun yeah uh let's talk about come again the 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 remix of rehash this one's really nice it feels almost like celebratory at times which is like a 
rewarding change after getting through all like the stretch of darker songs we just went through. This was the revelation of the last week for me. Like I had forgotten about this remix and I was so into it. Right now, this stands at number one on the album for me. I love cool. this song. Nice. I I love uh, I love how he uses the backing vocals. <laughs> I love when he just drops in David going drugs. Don't wanna <laughs> stop. <laughs> Almost like he used those stems to just like make a David Albarn soundboard or something. (laughs) What an amazing baseline. One of my favorite baselines on this album. Like, kudos to Phil Soul. This is such a good baseline. And I I really like hearing um, that on acoustic guitar is so isolated. It sounds very kind of like intimate and raw. It does. Also, also amazing work from Gava on this song because I think melodically, like just the chord progression is so interesting and weird, and like the the stings, the little piano stings are are playing these like really jazzy diminished chords, which is so cool. There's a, a great horn line from Mike. I mean, it, I think I hear a theremin back there in the mix at one point, which is awesome. Like this is just so cool. Which is cool because the original rehash uses a lot of like weird left field instruments too. Definitely, this is another example of like. Like really recapturing the same energy, but going in a different direction as the original, you know? I will say that this one does, uh, out of all these tracks, this one does one of the best jobs of doing that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I love this song. Come again. What a revelation, you know, revisiting this album. It's got another fun little like random outro beat, like this little hip hop thing that sounds like it it might be sampling Damon's ad lib from Slow Country, maybe. I'm not sure. Could it kind of use as a transition between Come Again and the next song? Fistful of Peanuts, the Clint Eastwood uh, remix. I love that title. Don't you love that title? Fistful of Peanuts, like, I don't know if we've really highlighted the title game on this record, but there's some good ones. Fistful of Peanuts is right up there, because obviously Fistful of Dollars or Fistful of Dynamite, depending on which one you want to talk about, is a spaghetti western classic featuring Clint Eastwood. Uh, So that's the monkey-fied version of that title. Yeah, my favorite thing here is the bass. Like, this bass line will occasionally just get stuck in my head. Like, for no reason. Definitely. And uh, it's still... I would say that I preferred U Brown's vocals on Rub-A-Dub to Fistful. Like, I think Rub-A-Dub gets the edge on this one for me. Um, yeah, I mean, he gets to... He's a little more um, He's a little more up in that one where he's kind of down in this one. But he does have a really good... He, the outro, I think, is a highlight where he's like, Space Monkey's gonna rise up. Yes, definitely. Let's That's get together the, the, and be yeah, wise. Yeah. So good. It's interesting to put the Clint Eastwood uh, remix so late in the game on this album, too. Yeah, really cool. And this is another example of that of that desire marching order of, like, let's not let's not try to remake the single, you know? Let's yeah. do our own yep. thing. Also, Mike Smith uh, plays the fucking flute on this song. Somebody should call the police on him. Somebody should call the police. <laughs> uh, what do you think it would have been? Uh, I think it would have been interesting to hear how they would have um, chosen to kind of incorporate Dell on this track. It was interesting, like that they didn't do that at all. Yeah, or or you know maybe maybe to to grab a, a Jamaican rapper or something would have been cool too. Uh, Ooh, yeah, that would have been neat. But but yeah, I, I I thought about that too about how I I wouldn't have mind seeing some of the rap pulled. In on this remix but it might have been kind of cool yeah and then we've got some some motor in we've got some vroom vroom of an engine to to announce the arrival of the album's proper closer uh well Dub Sheffin. The, the uh, M1A M1 remix. I've had to listen to M1A1 so many times for this fucking show. I know. And I've been very curious about all week about this because I know M1A1 is your least favorite gorilla song and and Lil Dub Cheffin is often cited as as the standout track on this album. So I'm very curious to see your thoughts on Lil Dub Cheffin. I have a very interesting relationship for this song, and I think I like figured out why after, you know, all the stuff we've talked about. This is a a weird 
event horizon for the Space Monkeys project, I think, and maybe for gorillas as a whole, okay? Sure. This is the moment where Space Monkeys crosses over from being, like, an interesting oddity in the catalog to, like, a bizarre, like, curiosity. <laughs> right, Here's Because right. we, we should say, we should say, this song has lead vocals from Terry Hall of the specials. Yes, formerly Don't Call Me Scarface, now the Yob voice of doom. <laughs> right. Here is the biggest influence on the musical side of this phase of the project. And, like, I know the band plays that off as a joke but it's true it's for sure true actually showing up on a remix album that the band itself is only kind of tangentially related to singing a song that is about that band and finishing with a shout out to the dudes doing the remix album very weird it's 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 such an ouroboros moment of a a snake consuming its own tail Yeah, there's a real beyond the looking glass moment here. I think I think Black Come Home is worth it is worth the price of admission. If for nothing else than hear Terry Hall sing Space Monkeys say want some. You know, it's so interesting because so much so much effort is tried to made to paint 2D and also by extension Damon Albarn or perhaps vice versa as like the world's biggest Terry Hall or specials fan. Mm-hmm. But it, it definitely seems like Terry Hall is sitting by the phone and waiting to show up. If you want him to show up for your dumb BBC documentary and say, I'm the biggest influence, he'll show up. If you want him to to sing a little outro on your weird non-album single that comes out and does nothing, he'll show up. If you need him to come sing vocals on the remix album of your big hit album, Terry Hall is game. I mean, like, it could be that Terry Hall is, is just as big of a Damon fan as Damon is a Terry Hall fan. So that begs the question, where is he on the actual album itself good question trevor nowhere like it's like he showed up to the party a day late yeah and they just let him do some stuff he's on the outside of the the margins of that album just banging on it trying to get in even even uh what's the song that actually samples the specials again slow country yeah let that sample play for for three seconds longer you got terry hall on the original but alas it wasn't meant to be yeah, I like I like a little Dub Chef a lot. Yeah, and apparently that that title is a reference to a, a chain of eateries that are found on motorways in the UK called Little Chef. Hmm. <clears throat> We've also got Organ on here by by Simon Katz. He's another Jamiroquai guy. I love the horns behind the La 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 Hey. They're so beautiful. Like they almost carry those La 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 Hey's into their own new melody. Like you kind of interpolate the two together. Um, yeah, I think these are the arrangements that a song like M1A1 kind of deserves. I think like the potential is kind of wasted on the kind of garage rock of the original version. Well, it certainly like defiantly throws out any any rock star posturing that the original yeah. might have might have had. They had no, they had no use for Damon's scream. <laughs> you mean noodles? Yeah, Noodle, sorry. Canonically, yeah. Noodle Scream. Obviously, I, it's clear to see why this is the track that they push from this record. I feel it's it's like a good... It's a good foot forward for everything that's great about Like a Come Home. It's not just misses the cutoff of my top three, but it's right there bubbling under. I think it's a... a an absolute highlight. What a good song. For sure. It's definitely, I think, the most special moment on the album. And I mean, even if if you, M1A1, whatever the opposite of a super fan is, you know, if you can be charmed over by a little dub shop and it must have some, some secret dub energy, some real power. Yeah, it's something like that. And so we've arrived at the end of Like a Come Home, an oddity uh, 
not only in the Gorillaz catalog, but in music as a whole, a full album remix. Uh, something that I wish they would attempt again, or or other bands would attempt even. Yeah, it would be it would have been really interesting to see Space Monkeys versions of uh, of Demon Days and Plastic Beach, and I can't even imagine humans. Yeah, well, especially because they seem game to kind of switch up. You know, not just be be dub reggae necessarily. They change things yeah. up every time. You know. Yeah. I guess that takes us to the end of the show, Trevor. Yeah. Wow. What a what a massive episode this was. Yeah. Do you want to read your um, long list of stuff that you always read at the end? <laughs> of course. I'd love for you listening at home to connect with us. You can do that on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, YouTube, Instagram, Amino. You can send us an email to hallelujahmonkeys at gmail.com. You could write us a review on iTunes. That's really helpful. We always love that. Join our Discord server at discord.me slash monkeys with a Z. And also special special thanks, by the way, to Discord users Hunts and Jasper, who were, were good resources coming up with questions for uh, this this amazing uh, uh, interview we had this this episode. Thanks, guys. You were really helpful. Yeah, on that. thanks, guys. Yeah, and uh, and be sure to uh, if you feel like it, become a supporter on Patreon with a monthly donation. And, and thanks so much to those of you who are continuing to pledge donations to the show. Very helpful. We're, we really really appreciate it. Thank you, guys. So, uh, Dylan, now that we're in an official new season of Halloween Monkeys, I think we're going to go back to uh, using uh, contextual sign-offs rather than the um, Murdoch Satan Loves You, which I think we'll save for special occasions now, mainly because I can't go another week uh, with I Want to Marry a Lighthouse Keeper stuck in my head. I don't know <laughs> yeah, about you. It's probably yeah. a good call. <laughs> yeah, so um, this has been Halloween Monkeys. I've been Trevor Ickrath. I've been Dylan Flynn. And until next week, don't get lost in heaven. Demo. Hey.